Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. So you can follow along if you'd like, otherwise just listen. Acts uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power? Or by what, not, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it might not may may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them. And charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, saying, Whether it is right to speak in the sight of God, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that as we come to your word, we recognize that we're not just reading uh, some book, some piece of literature, or some work of antiquity, Father, but we are, we are reading the very words of life. That your scriptures promise that when, when they are read and when they are meditated upon, that your Holy Spirit works in them and through them to change our hearts and to change our lives in ways we don't even often realize. So we pray that that mysterious work of the Holy Spirit would happen here this morning over the next few minutes as we worship you through the meditation of your word here this morning, Father. May your Spirit speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Throughout human history, there's been all sorts of, of movements. And you and I have experienced movements that have come in and they have gone. Uh, for a long time, uh, there was a huge environmental movement called the Green Movement. So everybody, every corporation wanted to be green. 
Everybody put a little sticker on their corporation that said, this is how we as a corporation are green and how we are protecting their environment. And it was a, it was a very large movement, one that really doesn't uh, have as much prominence as it once did before. A couple of years ago, the big movement uh, in our culture was volunteerism. Uh, a couple of years ago, I took a, a, a mission trip to uh, Europe. And when we were in Europe, we worked with, uh, with an organization called Serve the City. And uh, Serve the City's goal was to just uh, increase volunteerism in urban settings. So what we did is we came back to Baltimore and we said, why don't we start a Serve the City movement here in Baltimore City? And we said, well, let's just have a Saturday and invite a few friends and we'll go around and serve in Baltimore City. And that Saturday came and we had 250 to 300 people show up to serve in Baltimore City. Now, we were so excited. We were thrilled about it and everything was great. But part of it was just in the cultural air at that point was the excitement of volunteerism. And everything was about volunteering and serving all throughout the city and all throughout communities. There are movements like this that happen uh, all throughout time and they come and they go and they fade and they move in and out of prominence and all that. Many people have looked back at Christianity and said Christianity is the most prominent movement ever to hit human history. And often it is believed that that movement has been so powerful and it has stood the test of time unlike any other movement. And that is because the very power of God, the very power of God's Spirit is infused upon it. And with the past couple weeks, we've been looking at this book of Acts, which really gives us the first steps of this movement called Christianity. It records uh, by the hand of Luke this story of Jesus' followers right after Jesus returned back into heaven as they went all throughout the first century world planting churches in cities all over the place. We looked at this great urban church planning movement that Luke records for us. And by and large, we've seen an incredible movement of God's Spirit as He changed this first century world. But the passage that we read this morning introduces a very different tone that is going to characterize that movement throughout human history. Two weeks ago, we looked at a miraculous story, a story about when Peter and John were walking in the temple in Jerusalem, and they saw a lame beggar who had been uh, just at the temple gates. He begged for mercy day in and day out for his entire life, which the scriptures tell us is 40 years. He'd been born lame, born with the inability to walk, and for his entire life he, stay, he, he begged for mercy every day by the gates of that temple until the day when Peter and John came along and said, we don't have any money for you, but what we have for you is the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And it says at that moment, the lame man stood up and not only did he walk on these wobbly legs for the very first time, but after he got his legs under him, he began to run and jump and sing praises and run throughout the temple, singing the praises of Jesus Christ because he had been healed. If you were with us last week, you know that, that Peter took this as an occasion. Peter, wanted to, Peter always wanted to seize an opportunity to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he used this miracle as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, to tell people about the power that comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So as this man was running and jumping all throughout the temple, Peter begins to preach a sermon, and people begin to become converted to Jesus Christ. And the passage that we read this morning picks up right as that sermon ended. 
And right as when Peter has an opportunity to communicate the, G, the, the good news of Jesus Christ to a whole new crowd, and a crowd that ends up shifting the whole tone of the book of Acts as we will read further. In 1 Corinthians 3, there's this really interesting situation that, that the Apostle Paul at that point has to deal with. And he writes a letter to the church in Corinth because he saw a problem that was happening in that church. He saw that the people were, were giving their loyalties to individuals. They were giving their loyalties to Paul. They were giving their loyalties to Apollos. And they ended up arguing about their loyalties and, and who was the most important prophet and who was the most important teacher. And they were arguing about it. And Paul steps in and says, guys, you're being absolutely ridiculous. Because our loyalties belong to Jesus Christ above all other. Not some personality, not some people group. Our loyalties belong to Jesus Christ more than anything else. You know, in our culture nowadays, there's no, uh, uh, there's no rest from people clamoring for our loyalty. There's no rest from uh, people and voices clamoring in our ears every day that want our loyalty and they want our devotion. Maybe it's a sports team that wants you to buy all their stuff and cheer as loud as you can for them. Maybe it's a clothing manufacturer that wants you to be loyal to their clothes above anybody else or, or some business that only wants you to patronize them or some car company that only wants you to buy their cars. Maybe it's a political party or an ideology, ideology that's just clamoring for your loyalty. These voices all, all over us. One of the things I love about Baltimore is that it prizes loyalty. If you hang out in Baltimore long enough, you'll know that there's a fierce tribalism that comes to this city. And the longer you hear, the more you have it. We're the only ones that are allowed to talk about the negative things about Baltimore. If anybody from some other city talks about how negative Baltimore is, we get upset because we're the only ones that are allowed to talk about it because we're the ones that live here. You see, there's a, there's a fierce loyalty that comes from living in this city long enough. But what Paul is saying and what Peter is saying, that above all those things, above all those things that demand our loyalty and our devotion, we are called to have loyalty to the name of Jesus Christ above all other things. Peter speaks of this deeper loyalty to the name of Jesus Christ that's above all other names, and he speaks about loyalty to the name of Jesus, and he highlights four things that the name of Jesus brings that ultimately demand our loyalty and our devotion as people. The first thing we see is that the name of Jesus brings power. The name of Jesus brings power. Verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired of Peter and John, By what power or by what name did you perform this miracle? You see, these rulers bring, they, they, they observe this miracle... So they bring Peter and John into their midst and they begin to question them about, how did you do this? By what power were you able to heal this man who we've seen for 40 years has been unable to walk? You see, they wanted to know how this incredible power happened or what was the source of it. And they were really scratching their heads because they looked at Peter and John and they knew who they were. Peter and John were not professionals. They were not uh, the religious elite. They were not even well-known people. They were unschooled, common, uneducated, ordinary people just like you and me. Yet they demonstrated this substantial power. 
You see, the truth is Jesus routinely found people who were uneducated, people who were looked down upon in the culture, people who uh, were discarded by and large by the culture of the day, and he used them to be mighty vehicles of his power. And the apostles were no different. They were a motley crew of men who were broken, men who uh, often acted impulsively, men who struggled to believe, yet God demonstrated his great power, the name of Jesus Christ through them. And these apostles were very careful that whenever they performed a miracle in the name of Jesus, whenever they did anything miraculous or any powerful, they were very careful to say, the power is not our own. It doesn't come from from our spirituality. It doesn't come from our piety. It comes from Jesus Christ himself. The very power of God is found in his name. See, these miracles that they performed always pointed to something. They weren't just miracles for the sake of miracles, as we saw last week. They always pointed to something deeper. And what Peter and John wanted everybody to see, that the power that physically healed this man pointed to a greater spiritual power that brings healing, profound healing, to the very brokenness of your soul and my soul and everybody that existed in their day. You see, the power of the the name of Jesus brings power, not only just to heal physically, but to heal us in our deepest, most profound places of brokenness. But what Peter and John also want us to see is that the name of Jesus brings persecution. Not only does it bring power, but it also brings persecution. In verse 3, it says this, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. You see, the story tells us that Peter and John were arrested by the temple guard And they were brought before trial before these religious professionals, before Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. You see, these these men were members of the religious elite of Jesus' day, this party called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the aristocrats of the day. They were uh, the people that everybody kind of looked up to. They were the people that had all the power, not only socially, not only religiously, but also professionally. Their opinion is what mattered, and they enjoyed the power in which they had. They were in cooperation with the Romans of that day, so so not only did they have power over the Jewish people, but they also had the very power of the Romans behind them as well. But all of a sudden, a new power was demonstrated. A new power was demonstrated in front of them, and it immediately gripped them with fear. These Sadducees saw the power of Jesus Christ and they began to fear that a new power was coming and, and possibly stealing their power away. You know, many people argue that it's not money that drives our world, but it's the pursuit of power that is behind the pursuit of money that really drives most things that exist in our world. We've all heard the quote from Abraham Lincoln that said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And of course, John Stenbeck said, Power does not corrupt, fear corrupts. Perhaps the fear of a loss of power. You see, these Sadducees, these men, felt that their power and their position was being threatened by the power that they've observed in Peter and John. Not only was a new power being demonstrated, but thousands of people were being converted. Thousands of people were switching their loyalties 
to Jesus Christ himself. And they were fearful that they were about to lose their power. So they wanted to do everything they could to hold on to that power. So this is when a new shift happens in the book of Acts. And you begin to see very intense persecution beginning to arise in the face of the followers of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was was very, very clear when he was on this earth that following him meant facing persecution. He was very clear that there was no middle ground. To follow him meant that you would face persecution. There was, it was a non-negotiable. And now Peter and John are beginning to face the very persecution that Jesus had promised would be on the road for them. And what's interesting is these were the very same rulers who were responsible for the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. These very same rulers who just weeks before had been responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus had now pulled Peter and John into the very courtroom that Jesus stood and they now were facing the very same persecution that Jesus himself faced. Peter and John were arrested. They were intimidated. They were threatened for the cause of Jesus Christ. And as the book of Acts goes on, you begin to see that this persecution gets more and more intense for Jesus' followers. The more they proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more persecution comes their way in very tangible, very sad and tragic ways. But this is what Jesus said would happen. He said that to follow him, to be loyal to him, would involve sufferings and it would involve persecutions. You know, this has been a a huge misconception when when it comes to Christianity. One of the things that we believe about Christianity is that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you receive all the spiritual blessings as if you are sons and daughters of the King. And your spiritual life becomes enriched and fulfilled by a relationship with Jesus Christ. But many people believe that just because that happens spiritually, it ought to happen physically in their lives as well. That if they're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that everything in their life ought to go very smooth. They ought to have the best jobs. They ought to have the most money. Their their kids are going to be obedient all the time. Everything is just going to work out for them because they're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus never promised an easy life. In fact, he almost promised the reverse. That yes, our, our spiritual lives are going to have all the full blessings of what it means to be in a relationship with God. But if we really and truly express our loyalty to Jesus Christ, if we really and truly follow him with our lives, then we're going to experience sufferings and persecutions because of it. That is what Jesus promised. And often many people who buy into a Christianity that thinks about, think it's all about kind of spirit or, or physical blessings and a great life often end up leaving the faith. Or they're angry at God because he's not giving them the good life that they thought that they would get because they were in a relationship with him. But Jesus never promised pleasures in this life. But he does promise fulfillment in our spirit. Fulfillment, life to the full, in the face of sufferings, in the face of persecutions. And ultimately one day, all those things will end. And we will experience the bliss of heaven. But on this side... If we really and truly follow Jesus Christ, we will suffer for his name. 
we will experience the same things that Peter and John experienced in this passage. So the name of Jesus brings power, the name of Jesus brings persecutions, but also the name of Jesus brings salvation. Verse 12, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, Peter and John say something incredibly exclusive here. This is an incredibly exclusive statement, and it's one statement that would really have angered everybody probably that heard it, that didn't accept Jesus in that moment. What Peter is saying is that the only thing in life that brings salvation is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's saying the only way to get to God, the only way to get to heaven, to experience heaven, the only way to be made right with the Father is through relationship with Jesus Christ. And for many that heard this, it angered them. And for many that hear this in our culture, in our world today, it angers them as well. It angers many people theoretically because we live, as you know, we live in a culture that embraces um, sincerity and embraces tolerance at whatever cost. If someone sincerely believes, then it doesn't matter what they believe at all. We hear this all the time, that as long as we are sincere in our beliefs, then it doesn't matter what we, we believe all roads end up leading to heaven. And what happens in our culture is that sincerity and tolerance become the ultimate virtues. George Carlin famously joked that religion is like a pair of shoes, that you find one that fits you, but don't make me or anybody else wear your shoes. Many of you know that I, I teach here at the university, and one of the, one of the courses that I teach here is, is uh, a, a course called Contemporary Spirituality. And what it is, is it's a course where we look at all these spiritual traditions that have existed all throughout human history and spiritual traditions that exist today. But one of the first, the, one of the first issues that we have to wrestle at the very beginning of class every year is, is the very question of this. Is every spiritual path a valid path? Is every road a valid road? And almost everyone that you run into says, yes, it is. That as long as we're tolerant, as long as we're sincere, then everybody will find their way to God in the end. But this idea of sincerity and tolerance is an idea that no one holds consistently. It's not a view that anybody can hold consistently and still manage to live life. Last week I was with you, um, I told you about um, uh, a period in my life where I sat in traffic a lot. And we talked about how traffic is an amazing uh, picture of God's providence. And how it's amazing there aren't more accidents that happen on the beltway every day because people sit in traffic. Well, think about traffic for, for a second and apply what, what, is the, the, what is the message that exists in our culture air, a cultural air nowadays of sincerity and tolerance. And imagine if we applied that to traffic and said that the only thing that matters in traffic is sincerity and tolerance. That person cut me off. Well, they looked really sincere when they cut me off that day. So I'm going to tolerate this behavior. I'm going to tolerate the way they drive. You see, we can't hold sincerity and tolerance consistent. We embrace absolutes and objectives every single day. We embrace cut and dry things every day. And in some ways, it becomes the foundation of a society that actually works. 
But Peter here, echoing Jesus, says a very absolute statement. A statement that many people in our culture would look on today and say that is arrogant, it's exclusive, it's triumphalist, because they believe that all roads lead to heaven. But that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said when he, when, when he was here in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So we struggle with this in our culture. We struggle with it theoretically, but we also struggle with it very practically and personally as well. Because when we, when we, when we recognize this truth, we recognize that we can't do it on our own. That there's no way that we can figure it out in, our, on, in and of ourselves. There's no way that we can figure out how to get God on our own. There's no way we can figure out how to experience heaven on our own. We can't build our spiritual resume up enough. We can't outweigh our, good, our bad deeds with our good deeds enough to get to heaven. We only get to heaven through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We only experience his spiritual blessings and all that comes from that through a relationship with him. We can't do it on our own. And many people reject it because we have to swallow our pride and say we can't do it. We have to admit that we need Jesus to do it for us. So the name of Jesus is the only way in which you and I experience salvation. It's the only way you and I experience spiritual healing. But finally, the name of Jesus brings praise. The name of Jesus brings praise. Look at verse 21. And when they had further threatened him, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. You know, one of the things that the scriptures show about these first century believers is though their lives were very difficult, though they faced sufferings, though they faced persecution, They were characterized by a perpetual sense of praise for the name of Jesus, for what he's done, not only in their lives, but for what he has done on human history. You know, I think this is something that that the church really struggles with as well. The church really struggles with, with being a community that is characterized by the praise of Jesus Christ. Often, uh, Christians tend to be characterized as, as kind of people who are dour, kind of people who uh, don't really have a lot of energy or a lot of joy in life. They're people that are, were characterized as people that are overly concerned about rules and overly concerned about screwing up, and, and often people don't observe the joy and the praise that ought to characterize Christianity. It doesn't mean that we don't lament. There are, there are times where we have to lament the sadness of life. But what it does mean is that in the midst of that lament, in the midst of the difficulties and the sufferings of life, we still find a praise and a joy that can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Peter and John had been arrested. You'll find later on that often they were beat for their faith. They were, they were hurt for their faith. They suffered for their faith. But despite all those sufferings, they were characterized by praise and joy because that's what the name of Jesus Christ does. Peter says in verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They were so filled with praise at what Jesus had done for them. They were so filled with praise at the name of Jesus Christ that they were going to burst 
if they could not get that message out. And of course, history tells us that Peter, the man who preached this sermon before the high priest, before these rulers, was so convinced of the power of Jesus' name that he eventually paid the ultimate price of his life. History tells us that he was executed on a cross in a very similar way, just as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, had done himself. What made him so full of joy? What made him so full of power? What made him so loyal to the name of Jesus Christ that he was willing to go to his death for it? That he was willing to sacrifice that what was so precious to him, his very own life. The thing that made him willing to do it is the recognition that Jesus laid down his life, not just for him, but for you and I. He recognized the power and the uniqueness of the name of Jesus. The power and uniqueness that comes from recognizing that the one who was rejected has now become the foundation. The one who was discarded has now become the king. The one who was dead is now alive. And the question that he posed to those rulers that day is the same question he poses to you and I here this morning. Have you experienced the power of the name of Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the power of of the name of Jesus Christ opening up into your heart, opening up into your lives, life, and, and bringing life where there once was deadness and bringing joy in a place where there was once sadness? Have you experienced this power in your life? Because in the end, everything about this faith always comes back to the person of Jesus. This was the, the consistent message of the apostles. If you read, as you read the book of Acts, almost every sermon comes to the climax of the person and power of the name of Jesus Christ. It was the drum that they always beat. It was the climax of every sermon that they preached. They preached very few sermons about life principles, about how to be happy in life and all the things that that we often get caught up in in Christianity. Every sermon always came back to the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is where the power is. The power for spiritual life, the power for joy, the power for praise only lies in the person of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. There was nothing more And there was nothing less about the faith than the person of Jesus Christ. Know that every situation that you face, every crisis that you have to deal with every day day in and day out, every problem that keeps you awake every night, every anxiety that you bear, every burden that you bear in life always comes back to Jesus. It always comes back to the power of of his name because only in him can true life really be found every situation you face every crisis you endure all comes back to Jesus because not only is he the only exclusive way to find salvation in life but he really is the only exclusive way to live life to the full to live it the way God most deeply intended this life to be lived